Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Hello, Queens. We are back in the studio today, and we have a second person from the Gaudiani Clinic, Dr. Rosen, here today. So I'll give you a little bit of information about her, and then we'll jump in and learn some more. So Dr. Rosen graduated summa cum laude from Wake Forest University and attended the University of Florida College of Medicine, where she was a member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. She moved to Colorado to complete her internal medicine residency at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Upon completing her residency, she worked at Denver Health Hospital, where she served as an assistant professor of medicine for nearly six years and became one of the first leading attending physicians at the Acute Center for Eating Disorders. She left Acute after serving as an assistant medical director and joined the Gaudiani Clinic. Um, Dr. Rosen is a board-certified internal medicine and recognized as a certified eating disorder specialist by the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. As a lifelong recreational athlete, Dr. Rosen has a passion for working with athletes of all calibers with eating disorders, disordered eating, and exploring treatment of relative energy deficiency in sport. Recognizing that the knowledge of these topics in the general medical community is lacking, she aims to provide up-to-date expert medical care in a compassionate manner to all of her patients. For more information on Dr. Rosen, go to gadiaticlinic.com team. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rosen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Well, I have to <laughs> My say. My pleasure. <laughs> um, recently, I got to tour your clinic. And for anybody that is considering establishing care there, just wants to check it out. It is stunning, but yet so warm and open. It does not feel like a typical clinic. So um, I'm glad that they have added you to their practice as well. And um, what a contribution. So can you tell us what made you decide to join the clinic with your um, focus on the female athlete? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I found that I'm in a very unique opportunity and place right now where I've been able to align my professional interests and expertise with sort of my personal um, interests and experiences and passions. And that's a really exciting and unique place to be. And the Gaudiani Clinic has afforded me that opportunity. And sort of to expand on what I mean by that is, as you've already alluded to, personally, I have always loved sports. I was one of those kids that my parents couldn't get me to stop playing sports when I was growing up. When I was in second grade, I was like the only girl on the YMCA basketball team. Like I just wanted to play sports. (laughs) And that has evolved over time, my involvement in different sports, but always been a huge piece of who I am. So my interest in working with athletes and in particular female athletes in part spurs from, you know, my own personal experiences in the um, sports world. 
and just knowing the joys and benefits that sports have brought to me, but also at the same time understanding the time commitment, the energy, and the challenges that can go into playing sports. Mm -hmm. And so in my background, I've traditionally kind of kept my professional career very separate from my personal life. So by day, I'm a doctor. By night or whenever I can squeak it in, you know, I'm out doing whatever outdoor adventure I can get my hands on. And those worlds always stayed separate for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in my prior hospital experience before coming to the Gaudiani Clinic, I started gaining this expertise in the medical complications of malnutrition. And on this hospital unit that I was working, uh, we focused mostly on medical complications that related to severe forms of eating disorders. And I was learning sort of from the best experts that were out there how to manage and treat these problems. And so at the same time, my passion personally for endurance sports, particularly running and triathlon, was blossoming. And I started to see that these worlds could actually intersect a lot more and there was actually gaps in in the care potentially for female athletes as it relates to what can happen when things may not go um, exactly according to plan uh, regarding nutrition, whether that be an unintentional thing or that be um, intentional in the case of an eating disorder. And so I started to see these worlds collide because becoming more involved locally in the endurance running and triathlon community, I was hearing a lot of athletes and we're focusing a lot on female athletes, particularly struggling with issues with their periods and fertility and going to doctors and being told um, information that may not be the most accurate and up-to-date and really struggling with how do they manage these problems. And so I started to have this light bulb that went off in my head where I was like, well, maybe my interests aren't so separate after all, and this is a perfect place for me to combine my passions where a traditional sports medicine doctor may not want to focus on this part of an athlete's world, where we're talking about underfueling, particularly in the case of an eating disorder. I do, and that's my background, and that's my expertise, and that's where I can really see my role in helping to athletes um, sort of of all calibers perform at their best and sort of within in their values. Great. Yeah, that's a great combination. Um, going along with some of the just um, issues that you just mentioned, what messages do you think are still out there that are detrimental to the health of the female athlete? And do you think um, any of those have improved? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's three major ones that I can touch on. Um, And so the first I would say, I still think there are healthcare professionals and people who work with athletes that feel like amenorrhea, which is a fancy medical term for loss of a regular menstrual cycle, is just a natural consequence of being an athlete. And so traditionally, people just thought, well, you know, the more you train, the more likely you are to lose your period. No big deal. It's just a sign that you're fit and you're an athlete. From my perspective, the loss of a menstrual cycle is sort of a red flag. And it's a red flag that your body is not functioning to its full potential. And we want athletes to be functioning to their full potential. And so I think that information being spread that there's no concerns if you lose your period and there's no long-term consequences is one that can be really detrimental to the health of an athlete. Um, And so I think it's really important to make sure that people know what long-term consequences can happen from the lack of a menstrual cycle, and and one of those in particular 
that I feel particularly strong about is in the effects that it can have on bone health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do know that for every year without a menstrual cycle, uh, people can lose over 2% of their bone density. Um, and so this is a problem because we build most of our bone density when we're young. So 90% of our bone density is built during our later teens, early 20s. And so if you have a young athlete in particular who's in their teens participating in sports, loses their period, is kind of told, no big deal, that's part of your training, they're losing bone density at a time where they need to be building their most strong mm-hmm. skeleton. So you can see how that can have kind of a long-term <clears throat> impact on their health. And so if someone doesn't know about that, that could potentially be really detrimental. And like so that 2% I think a year, I'm just thinking of the kind of career of an athlete, four years in high school, four years in college mm-hmm. of competitive athletics. Right. That's quite a bit of time that they might not be getting and losing the much needed bone Or mass by birth control, and they really think they're having their period, exactly. but they're not. So, yeah, wow. So that is like, a, you know, potential to really be a big detriment on the spine. And that's one of the complications of malnutrition that can be irreversible. And so I take that very seriously. And I think other healthcare professionals need to be aware of that and not sort of brush off um, irregular periods or loss of periods as something, oh, it's fine. Like once you're not exercising as much, it'll come back and you don't need to worry about it right now. Um, on that same note, you kind of mentioned another one of my biggest pieces is I think that there's still this belief in the medical community that if you lose your period, you can protect your bone health by taking birth control. And then this other separate idea that you can kind of jumpstart your periods, and I say that in quotations because I'm not quite sure what that means, um, by taking birth control. But both of those facts don't actually pan out in the scientific evidence. Um, from every single study that's been done, unfortunately, oral birth control pills have really shown no impact on protecting people's bones when they lose their period. Um, and it would be so wonderful if that was the case. It would be an easy fix and an easy solution. But the science shows that that's really not the case. And it's believed to be for two reasons, not to get into too much detail, But the birth control, when it's metabolized, once you take it, it goes through the liver and it kind of converts it into a form where it's not just not as active on the bones as it could be. And also the dose of estrogen and hormones in birth control tends to be higher and through complicated mechanisms that can often sort of um, downregulate the potential bone effects it could have because the dose is higher. So if there's any message I can get across to healthcare providers, it's that never prescribe birth control pills um, to treat uh, bone density loss. And the second piece of that is this whole concept of jump-starting a period. Um, The whole way that birth control works is that it's basically giving you hormones that mimic your natural menstrual cycle. And so if you put someone on birth control, depending on what kind it is, most often they use like a cyclic birth control where you're going to have a monthly period. And so people might get faked out by thinking, oh, look, see, I'm having a period again, Mm -hmm. when in actuality, it's only happening because of the pills that you're taking. And the only way to know if you can do it on your own would be not to take those pills. So I think we're actually doing a disservice by putting people who have amenorrhea on birth control pills, because then we're masking whether or not they are in a place where they can um, have a cycle on their own. 
Absolutely. That's great information. And and thank you for explaining how, why it wouldn't work. Because I think even for the athlete themselves is, um, again, kind of rationalizing, I'm still getting my period, so everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Especially when you're in birth control. It's like, I'm fine. I'm in birth control. I'm right. getting my period. No worries. Mm-hmm. The last piece of it, and then to get to your piece of the question of where we might be improving in the medical care for athletes related to these kind of myths that I'm bringing up, is in bradycardia. So bradycardia is our term in medicine to describe a low heart rate. Traditionally, it's defined as a heart rate less than 60. And I think where sometimes we can be a little short-sighted in dealing with female athletes is always saying that a patient who comes in to see you who has a low heart rate that that heart rate is always just because they're a strong and fit athlete when there could be other things going on to cause it. Now, there are certainly many cardiac issues that can cause low heart rate, but when I'm just kind of talking in specifics in an otherwise healthy female athlete, I think one consideration and distinction that is important to make is, is this slow heart rate that we're seeing in the athlete because indeed they are a fit, strong athlete and they've sort of trained their heart, which is a muscle, to be stronger, so it has to be, it can beat less, but still circulate the same amount of blood? Or is this an athlete who might be underfueling? And so um, instead is developing what we would call kind of a starved heart. Mm-hmm. And the differences sometimes can be subtle, but in an athlete who is underfueling, our bodies are really smart. And so they sense when we're not getting enough nutrition, and it they decide to sort of slow everything down in our system to conserve as much energy as possible. So for that athlete that's consistently not getting enough nutrition for their sport, their brain recognizes that and it kind of goes into panic mode where it wants to conserve as much energy as possible. And one of those ways is by slowing down how fast the heart beats. And so instead of it beating at sort of a normal rate, it's going to be a lot slower because it takes more energy to beat faster. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the most profound examples of how you can distinguish between the two, uh, I saw in my prior hospital unit. So in an athlete who's underfueling and their heart has slowed down to conserve energy, they're also breaking down muscle most of the time as an extra energy source because they're desperate to get fuel from any source. And again, the heart is a muscle, so one of the consequences we can see is that actually the heart wall and its muscle itself will get thinner and weaker. And so there is a trick to kind of distinguish the two. And again, it was much more pronounced on my hospital unit, but I would have patients coming in whose heart rates were in the 20s or 30s, um, and they would always say to me, oh, Dr. Rosen, but but I'm an athlete, and you're trying to tell me that my heart rate is abnormally low. Um, but I'm running, and, I, and, and my doctor told me it's just because I'm fit. Mm-hmm. And so I say, okay, well, let's have you stand up because they had heart rate monitors on, and let's walk down the hallway and see what happens to your heart. In some of the most extreme examples, I'd see someone's heart rate go from 20 to like 150 oh, just by walking land. down the hallway. And so that's a sign that, no, your heart is actually not strong and fit. It's likely thinned out. It's weaker. It has to beat so much harder just to do a basic activity. So those are kind of tests that we even do in our clinic um, here that can really help to um, gain insight into someone who feels like they're not sick from maybe the way that they're nourishing their bodies to have them 
get a heart rate at rest, and then we'll walk them down the hallway and Mm -hmm. see how it changes with movement. And any major jump in heart rate with movement in an athlete is going to be abnormal and a sign that perhaps this is due to other circumstances um, than what we traditionally in medicine say, which is your heart is strong because you're a fit, strong athlete. Yeah. Wow, what a great I mean, point. an amazing example of, and that's walking down the hall. That's not an athlete who's competing. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not even running. So right. let's say you're a right. runner. Right. Like you can imagine if you're walking down the hallway and your heart rate's 150 when you're running, I'm not even sure how some of the people I used to see in the most extreme setting in the hospital were even managing to put one foot in front of the other and continue running. But I think um, in severe cases of eating disorders, you know, they're they're so strong that that it is a habit that they just can't break um, until sort of their body just doesn't allow them to do it anymore. It's so amazing um, how so the human kind of, body can adapt right. and still be able to function highly, but we have no idea exactly. what's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The body does remarkable things to adapt and try to keep us going as long as possible until, you know, sometimes it really can't anymore. And those were the type of patients that I would see in the hospital a lot. Um But to kind of answer your question on ways in which um, maybe we are getting better as a medical community and recognizing some of these myths, um, you know, I think in general, we're probably doing a better job of recognizing that things like amenorrhea are a problem and that um, low energy intake can lead to loss of a menstrual cycle, which can then lead to low bone density. And I think the reason for that is because there's medical organizations and societies out there that have been publishing papers for a long time now to describe and and kind of educate um, not only healthcare providers, but coaches and trainers on these concepts. So, for example, the American College of Sports Medicine, or ACSM, coined the term female athlete triad in the early 1990s. um, And that concept is exactly what I've been saying about the integration between low energy intake, loss of a menstrual cycle, and then results in bone loss. And that's been around for, you know, over 20 years now, and they've made new iterations of those papers. And so the more that information is sort of disseminated into communities that care for athletes, I think that information um, is going to be more uh, recognized among those people. So I think we're doing good in that respect. And then at the same time, there's other organizations like the International Olympic Committee that are coming out with consensus statements to even kind of broaden on the concept of of the female athlete triad um, that has been around for a long time. And they recently came out with a paper in the last three to four years to describe a more inclusive phenomenon um, that you guys have already named, which is called relative energy deficiency in sport. And kind of the goal of the International Olympic Committee was to say, hey, we recognize that the female athlete triad is a problem and it happens, but let's also take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture. Number one, underfueling in sports doesn't just happen in females, it also happens in males. Mm-hmm. And the term female athlete triad is sort of excluding you know, half of the population. And the second piece was while loss of periods and bone health is, are two of the consequences of underfueling in reality, uh, underfueling in sport can affect pretty much every organ system in the body. So let's take a step back and focus on the bigger picture that there's more to underfueling in sport than just the loss of period and bone loss. And those can be really detrimental. 
but it can affect every part of our body. And so I think there's still work to be done to kind of disseminate information about that new concept of red, but I think people are more aware of the female athlete triad. However, I did come across this study recently that was from 2015, where they interviewed over 900 physicians. These were physicians from all different specialties. Um, and they asked them if they could identify the three components of the female athlete triad. And uh, this was actually even a multiple choice question <laughs> that they had to answer. Oh, and only 37% of the oh, over 900 physicians God. could identify correctly the three components of the female oh, athlete triad. Man. So that means even in 2015, if we project that data, nearly two thirds of physicians didn't even know what this meant. And so you can see how that can become problematic when you're kind of a general primary care doctor and you're seeing a female athlete in your clinic and they may be complaining um, of some of these issues and problems and if you can't even identify that there's an interlink between sort of nutrition, um, menstrual cycle and bone health, you know, that, that's certainly um, mm -hmm. problematic. Right. So, so the data suggests we have room for improvement. Yes, to be fair, does. if they had done this, <laughs> if they had done this study maybe ten years ago, maybe the percentage would have been ten percent of physicians. So, so maybe there has been progress, and I think you know the more organizations can kind of publish and get information out there to not just medical providers but everyone involved in the care of athletes, um, the more information there'll be. Fantastic. And I think it's also helpful for podcasts like you who are bringing on experts oh, to you. discuss these issues. <laughs> I know. Um, and so that female athletes can can hear something and be like, oh, my gosh, that resonates with me. Mm -hmm. That's totally an issue. And now they have a way of knowing, well, how do I seek out the appropriate care to help me with that problem? Oh, thank so, you. so you guys are part of the solution, too. <laughs> We've got work to do. Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of brings me to my <laughs> next question is, you know, if – I don't want to say we can't trust the medical providers, but if we need to take our health care in our own hands, what's a more proactive way that the female athlete can kind of routinely um, do their health checkup and make sure that their body's working in their favor? Yeah, I think if anybody has, you know, questions that they're, they're not getting answers to, it's always good to seek out experts who um, sort of specialize in that field. So, you know, I exist in part for that reason, um, and you know we have capabilities in our clinic to take care of patients sort of all over the country um, because of a new technology called telemedicine, um, where we can, with a HIPAA-compliant platform, have sort of video chats with patients from all over the country. So even if they just need kind of an initial consultation to say, here's what's going on with me, what do you think, what's your plan of attack, you know, finding an expert is always helpful. And then sometimes being proactive, again, about your own medical care, making sure that your doctor um, is kind of asking you the necessary questions. And if they're not, like you bring that list to them. Um, if you're concerned about your menstrual cycle and it's been irregular, you know, you bring that information to them to say, it's not regular. I know this is a problem. Like, who can I see about it if you're not the person that can give me the correct information? So, um so that can be really hard because I think a lot of times in navigating any medical system, we often have to advocate a lot for ourselves and it can feel kind of helpless when you're out there and you don't know who to turn to and, and your doctor may just not have that expertise. Um, but 
I am happy to be a part of this clinic where we can reach out to patients from all over the country potentially, mm-hmm. um, even if they just sort of need that one-time visit to to brainstorm about what might be going on and, and what action we can take to um, to get things on a better track medically yeah, and performance-wise. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that um, yeah they have access to you. That's kind of kind of cool right now. Because you guys are now licensed in twenty seven states, right? Uh, twenty four states. Twenty four. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Plus the potential for ten others because cool. there's this new telemedicine compact that came out um, where you can basically fast track apply for medical licenses in different mm-hmm. states. And so instead of it maybe taking you know, a couple of months to get your medical license. Um, we're, uh, Dr. Gaudiani and myself are part of this compact where it can take like a week. Um, mm-hmm. If someone's from a compact state, we can activate that medical license. So if they do need ongoing care, um, we can provide that pretty quickly. Yeah. And I know you guys are great at kind of updating on your social media and about, you know, adding new states. So um, a good place if you our listeners are, are wondering. So Dr. Rosen, thanks so much for all of this great information. And we always love asking our guests how they live out the fit philosophy of balancing performance, health, intellect, and time for self. So um, how do you live out the fit philosophy, Dr. Rosen? Well, that is a great question. And I'll be the first to admit that that is an ongoing work in progress. And I feel like that is probably a typical scenario for many people. Um, You know, for me personally, I had a big change in my career lately, and in part, that change was not only spurred by my personal and professional interests, but also in my desires to live a more balanced life Um, in the hospital, which I've been working essentially in the hospital for the better part of nine years. um, The schedule can be quite um, hectic and all over the place and working a lot of nights and a lot of weekends and Um, As I started to kind of develop more of my own kind of family, um, it became increasingly more important for me to have the opportunity to work really hard but have the time off too to spend time with my husband and and my four-legged dog, um, (laughs) best friend. And so that became increasingly more important to me. So part of the attraction to working in outpatient, and I think there's no, you know, perfect work environment per se, was that my values became increasingly more important to to have time to spend with my family, and that meant, you know, not working overnight shifts, and that meant not working on the weekends anymore, and so, you know, that's one way I've sort of led a more balanced life recently. The other thing, which I sometimes cringe even saying this, is learning better how to say no. Um, I tend to be one of those people that wants to say yes to everything and wants to help everyone. And then you start looking back and you're like, well, I'm doing probably 10 things that I don't care that much about, but yet they're interfering with like the three things that I really want to be doing. So I think being able to step back sometimes and say no when it's something that you know, you find at the end of the day, maybe doesn't bring you joy or is not valuable. And I found that's translated into my own sport life, too. Um, I think, you know, especially in the endurance running community, um, we get very wrapped up in like, okay, racing and training and then racing and training. And Mm -hmm. so in the last year or so, I've sort of stepped back and like, do I enjoy that cycle anymore? Not right now. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to run with my friends in my running group when I want to. And when I don't, I'm not going to. And I'm going to explore sort of different avenues of activity that make me happy. So 
So it kind of comes back to the idea of stepping back and saying no to things that are no longer um, providing you that joy and allowing you to have that balance in your life. So. Oh, well, we, we love that. So um, thanks for coming on today. And we'll be sure to put your contact information on the show notes so people can follow you and check you out. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to talk with both of you. You bet. Have a great day. Bye, Queen. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you to our sponsor today, Sentimano Counseling. Sentimano Counseling is the premier perinatal mental health practice in Kansas City, treating mood disorders during pregnancy and postpartum, perinatal loss, infertility, eating, and exercise disorders. Go to Sentimano.com for further information about the practice and services. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fit for a queen. And Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.